0: Father, as we've just been singing, it's our desire to, to know you and to walk with you. And we pray that during these moments in your word now that you would speak clearly to us, plant your word deep in our lives, help us to hear and understand what you want us to, to know and what you want us to do as a result. And we pray that you would, you would just clearly communicate with us this morning and be honored as we do and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There was an old uh, Farside cartoon, and some of you right away are thinking, okay, this isn't going to end well, all right, but stick with me for a second. There's an old Farside cartoon that just shows a snow globe, and inside that snow globe there's a, a nice snow-covered hill, and there's a little cabin on it. And there's an older woman standing on the front porch of that cabin, and she's looking across that hill and coming over the top of that hill is a man in a a nice plaid, heavy coat and the toque. And he's not looking at the house. He's looking back through the glass, past the coffee table to this large hand that's coming down to grab the snow globe. And he's saying, well, better get inside, Ma. Looks like a storm's coming. All right, you'll figure that out later if you have a snow globe. All right. The, the question is, what do, what do you do when you see a storm coming? Uh, how, did you, how did you fare with the snow yesterday? Uh, some people are loving it. Other people are thinking we didn't get enough, and some people think we got all of winter all at once. All right, it, it probably seems worse than it would if we'd had a taste of winter already. But because we're this late in the season and we're just getting a shot now, boy, it, it felt pretty good. How did you deal with that? When you heard the weather forecast, did you say, Oh, give me a break? They never know what they're talking about. I'm just carrying on. Or did you say, Okay, we're going to go buy some coffee, an extra bag of milk, and we're just going to lock the door and we'll come out on Sunday morning and see what happened? A couple of different personalities there, isn't there? A couple of different approaches to deal with that storm. Well, some people might be tempted to say, Well, really? They hyped it pretty good, but it wasn't that big of a storm. I mean, we've had a lot worse. Well, if that's your thought this morning, I would just encourage you, or dare you, (laughs) uh, to tell somebody in Hamilton uh, that with their 40 centimeters. To tell the people in Quebec and the East Coast who are expecting 60. The people in New York State expecting 3.5 feet. Uh, It's a huge storm. Just because we didn't feel the direct impact of the center of the storm doesn't mean it wasn't a big storm. We were grateful in a lot of ways that we just got hit with the edge, right? This is a huge storm. And sometimes we, we evaluate the intensity of a storm by how it, directs me, it directly impacts me. If it didn't affect me that much, it couldn't have been that big a storm. Well, we need to look a little bigger picture, right? So how do you deal, how do you deal with a storm? Do you just go inside, wait it out, hide from it? Well, that's a, a, a decent idea when it's a snowstorm. But what do you do when the storm clouds take a different shape? When the storm clouds are not bringing snow. But when, when the, the gathering clouds seem to point towards uh, persecution and opposition to God's people. Uh, Open Doors Ministry just released this week their annual World Watch List which details the nations where it is the most dangerous to be a follower of Christ. Where people around our world are facing incredible persecution for no other reason than they follow Jesus and they preach the gospel. And we look and we say, wow, we need to be praying for our brothers and sisters in these situations. How we should be praying for them, has been a series of uh, debates. There's different approaches to that. But the fact that this is going on out there, and we say, well, it's not that big a storm because it's hitting somewhere else and we're just kind of getting the fringe here. So it's not really that big a deal. Well, actually, it, it is a big deal. And even in Canada, our, our opposition as, as followers of Christ and people who believe and obey God's word, uh, our opposition takes a little bit of a different approach. Uh, our, our nation, our leaders, our courts, they kind of come at us from a different direction. The way they try and come at, at us today in Canada is through social issues, typically, and moral issues. And we'll attack you on that, and we'll attack your stand on that. You believe what the Bible says about marriage, so, oh, that makes you awful, and we're going to come at you on that. And and issues of abortion, and all kinds of things. And that's that's where they don't necessarily attack the gospel quite so much. Some might. But by and large, our society tries to come at us a little differently. Uh, Pastor Marty brought this news article to my attention this week that last October, the Ottawa police... Arrested a Jesuit priest, 83 years old, who had been um, demonstrating, I guess is the word, uh, fairly close to an abortion clinic. His offense consisted of sitting on his own chair on the public sidewalk, wearing a sandwich board which read, uh, Without free speech, the state is a corpse. During his four and a half days of protest, he never spoke to anyone. He did not pass out any literature. He did not impede anybody's progress along the sidewalk, and he never mentioned or referred to abortion once. The Ottawa police charged him with intimidating or attempting to intimidate persons seeking or providing abortions. That was in October. When the case came up this week, Uh, It seems like maybe they were a little embarrassed. A a silent 83-year-old Jesuit priest with a sandwich board talking about free speech, and they were charging him with intimidation, and so the charge was changed. He's now been charged with informing or attempting to inform a person concerning issues related to abortion services by any means, including oral, written, or graphic means. Well, any decent lawyer could then shut down that that abortion clinic because they're informing on those issues as well. It doesn't say which way. But he was also charged with performing or attempting to perform, listen to this, an act of disapproval concerning issues related to abortion services. That's Canada. He's been charged with disapproving of abortion. So I'm just saying, storm clouds and we might be at the edge and others might be in the center but storm clouds come and in our world today in our lives our interactions today our opposition might seem very upfront and personal it might be subtle it might be ridicule that we face it might be out-and-out persecution that comes our way so what do we do do we just head inside hope the storm passes The Apostle Paul was in prison. He was in prison for preaching the gospel. He was in prison for preaching about Christ. The church in Philippi, the Philippian believers, followers of Jesus, they were afraid. They were afraid for Paul because they didn't know how he was doing in prison. How he was faring. A Roman prison was no picnic. Was he even going to survive his imprisonment? They were afraid for him in his current situation and setting and they were afraid for him because there was a trial he was waiting on around the corner and things could go even worse for him. They were afraid. They were afraid because Paul was in prison for preaching the gospel and that's what they were doing. They were doing the very same thing, preaching the gospel. So is what's going to happen to Paul going to come and happen to us? And they're afraid. And So Paul writes them a letter. We have it as the book of Philippians. As we saw last week, he begins his letter by just kindly and lovingly telling them how he feels about them and how he's praying for them. But then he launches in, and this is why I think today we're going to get to the theme of this letter. He launches into right away addressing this issue of their fear and their concern for him and for themselves and for where things are going. And so he begins by this next section. He launches right in after this greeting. Here's how I feel about you. Here's how I'm praying for you. And he launches in and he starts to tell them a few things. And I think he tells them three things in this next section we'll look at this morning that were helpful to them in knowing how to be courageous out there in the face of opposition. And I think there's some things in here that we can learn, just as they could so long ago, that will help us in our day to simply stand and walk and live as followers of Jesus in Canada here and now. So turn with me, if you will, to Philippians chapter 1, and we'll pick up in verse 12. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. So as I said, we kind of opened their mail last week and we had that personal greeting and introduction. And now Paul continues on. In verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. The First thing Paul, I think, is telling them is simply, Hey, friends, don't be so kind of wound up. I appreciate your love and concern. But hey, just serve the gospel. Just serve the gospel. You see, he says, all these things you're afraid of for me and those things that you feel bad that I've had to endure, the beatings I've taken, this, this imprisonment, the, the trial, the, all, the, all that's gone on to get me here, everything I'm suffering through even now, day to day, I, I appreciate your concern, but all of it has served to advance the gospel. You need a new lens to look at, to look through rather. This is not about me and about my circumstances. This is about Jesus and getting the gospel out there. And so look at things through this lens and you will see things a little bit differently. Everything that's happened to me, Paul says, has served to advance the gospel. That's what's going on here. He says in verse 13, he points out that the guards, as well as the other prisoners... Everybody around him knows that he is there for Christ. He is not there for any kind of crime. Hey, what are you in for? (laughs) I told people that Jesus is the only way to be right with God. I told people that Jesus is God's Son and that He rose from the dead. I told people that Jesus is the Lord and He's the way to be right with God. Every time he gets asked that question is another opportunity to simply share the gospel. And he says, you've got all of these guards here right where I'm being kept. All of these guards, they know why I'm here. And they're hearing the gospel. These prisoners, they know why I'm here. They know why they're there and they know why I'm here. And they're hearing the gospel. He's sharing the gospel right there in a prison cell. Why is he in prison? For preaching the gospel. What does he do when he's in prison? (laughs) He preaches the gospel. Why? Because he's been sent by God to preach the gospel regardless of location. doesn't matter where he is, that's what he's here to do. And so he carries on. We hear stories today and reports today of followers of Jesus in Muslim nations that are in prison for no other reason than for preaching the gospel. And many of them are not asking us to get them out. Work somehow to get us out of here. They're saying, pray that we'll be faithful and that there'll be a door open for the gospel. And there are reports of Muslim in Muslim nations where Christians, followers of Jesus, are thrown in prison for preaching the gospel. And you know what's happening in prison? They're preaching the gospel. And people are coming to Christ in those prisons at a faster rate than they ever were outside. And the Muslims are thinking, we can shut these Christians up and, and stamp out the gospel by taking these Christians and throwing them in jail, and all they're doing is giving them a captive audience. And God's collecting all of these other Muslims and putting them in prison and saying, "There! Here's my messenger. Listen to him." And they're sharing the gospel right there. And they're saying, "Everything that's happening to me is serving to what? Advance the gospel." He says in verse 14 that another way the gospel is being advanced by Paul's imprisonment is a lot of the brothers, most of the brothers, are hearing of his imprisonment, are hearing that he's continuing to share Christ, and they're being motivated and and strengthened and encouraged to share Christ even more boldly. Instead of being afraid of prison, we're saying, well, look at Paul. God's faithful to Paul right there in prison, and God is meeting his needs, and God is using him to share the gospel there. And if he can do it, I can do it. This is, a, this is an encouragement. If God can use him, he can use me. And so I'll just keep preaching the gospel too. And so Paul's imprisonment is serving to share the gospel and advance the gospel that way. I heard a, an interview a couple weeks ago with uh, Jared Goff, who's the quarterback of the Los Angeles Rams. And he has not been known to run with the football this year. And the reason is because when you run with the football, men that are much bigger and stronger than you put a beating on you. And you're risking injury. (laughs) And so he hasn't done much of that. But in this particular game, they needed to win this game. And at this crucial moment in the game, he ran. And he put himself on the line. And he ran. And he was asked about that after. Wow. You don't usually do that. What 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 made you do that in that moment? You know what he said? He said, All day I was watching my teammates sacrifice their body for the team. And I saw them risking injury to protect me and to achieve our team goal. And I thought, if they can do it, I gotta do it. So I can take one for the team. Right, that's what Paul's saying these people are being encouraged to share Christ because they see what I'm doing and what I'm enduring and they're saying, okay, I can do this too. And so whether he's in prison or whether he's out of prison, whether he's in prison or whether it's the people, the followers of Jesus on the outside, the gospel is being advanced. So Paul says to the Philippian believers, I appreciate your concern and your prayer and your support and he's going to encourage them to keep on praying for him and helping him out. But he's saying, hey, look at this differently. All of this is advancing the gospel. Some indeed, verse 15, preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Well, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. I rejoice. Paul says the gospel's going out, and there are some out there who are preaching the gospel motivated by love. Motivated by love for me, and they want to carry on that ministry I began. Motivated by love for Christ and love for people who need Jesus, and so they are continuing to preach the gospel. They're motivated by love. They are my partners in the gospel. Oh, by the way, what did he call them? The Philippian believers, back in verse 5 we saw last week. Hey, you're my partners in the gospel. He's now talking about what that looks like. And he says, these are my partners in the gospel, and out of love they are are preaching the gospel, and they know that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. I am put here. By whom? My imprisonment, Paul says, is no accident. I have been placed here for the defense of the gospel. Paul believes he is exactly where God has put him and where God wants him to be. Paul believes that he is as much on duty as the soldier who's guarding him. Think about that. Why? Because I'm serving Christ. I'm serving the gospel. Here I am. And this is where he put me, so this is where I serve. This is where I share the gospel. This is no accident. And he says, I've been put here for the defense of the gospel in conversations that he's having with guards and with other prisoners and in the trial publicly to come where he will stand and defend the gospel and preach Christ in that public, official setting. There are others who are out there preaching the gospel to try and hurt Paul. Can you believe that? People people will do all kinds of things, won't they? There are people preaching the gospel, Paul says, because they're trying to, to hurt me, whether they're trying to promote themselves or they're trying to intensify my suffering. Well, this is what that guy in jail told us to tell everybody. Whatever they're doing, and Paul says the bottom line is I don't care why they're doing it. I just care that they are. He said, "What does it matter? Christ is proclaimed, and so I rejoice." And so Paul says, "Friends, just serve the gospel. That's what I'm doing. Don't be so afraid for me and for yourselves. Just simply serve the gospel, because whether whether I'm in here and you're out there, or whether we trade places, if the gospel is being advanced, then." good enough. If people are hearing about Jesus, that's the bottom line. It's not about me, it's not about you, it's about Christ and about their need to hear the gospel. And so he says, so I'm excited to hear that the gospel is moving forward regardless of my circumstances. I wonder if he's kind of implying the question, so how's the gospel being advanced in Philippi right now? I'm telling you how it's being advanced here in jail in Ephesus. How uh, How's it going out there? I wonder if that question echoes down through the centuries and lands in our laps this morning and says, how's the gospel being advanced in Harrow, in Essex County? Despite whatever circumstances you face, despite whatever place you may have been put, despite whatever responses you may be getting, is the gospel being advanced? Whatever we face, he says, just serve the gospel. He continues on in verse 18 and tells us another thing. He says, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. For to me... Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul says, serve the gospel. And then he says, honor Christ. He reminds them that that their prayers are helping him. That the spirit of Jesus is strengthening him. And he says, I'm convinced That your prayers and the spirit of Jesus and the work that he's doing in my life and the the way that he's helping and sustaining me, I'm convinced that this will lead to my deliverance. But do not read that word deliverance as his rescue from prison. Because he says, there are two ways for me to be delivered. (laughs) By, By living and being released or by dying for Christ. Either way, he includes in that umbrella of his deliverance, life or death. It's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And now here is another one of those famous verses from Philippians. We briefly looked at one last week in chapter 1, verse 6. Now we look at this one. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, my life or my death either furthers the gospel and brings honor to Christ, so I'm good with either. Now that verse, verse 21, that's not a bumper sticker. That's not a bumper sticker. It's not a cute slogan, to live as Christ and to die as gain. It's not just something we, we, we spew out without thought. It's not a bumper sticker. It's more like a snow tire. It's where, the, it's where the rubber meets the road. He says, the good of the gospel and the honor of Christ is at stake, and so it doesn't matter to me because it's not about me. Live or die, the gospel goes out, Jesus is honored, and we're good. We're good. See Paul is spending his life in the service of Christ and the gospel. He doesn't want to be a martyr. He says, "Yes, I'd love to go home to be with Jesus, but he he's not excited about being a martyr, executed for preaching the gospel, but it would be kind of the crowning touch on his life of service." Like if that's what God ultimately wants me to give, okay. My life is here as a servant. He says in verse 23 that he'd he'd love to go home and depart and be with Christ because that is what? Far better. Far better. Anybody here going through anything kind of rough? Anything here enduring problems and heartaches and stresses? There are days we say, oh, home is going to be so much better. Yeah. That's what Paul's saying. But that, I would love to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Friends, those words come from a heart and a life that is walking in fellowship with Jesus here and now. And saying, it's going to be better. Look how good this is to walk in fellowship with Jesus here. It's going to be that much better. And I'm walking in fellowship with Him now, and I can't wait. I can't wait. I want more. I want more. And you look at verse 20 here where he says, it's my full expectation that I will not be ashamed, but that I'll face this with full courage. Wow. Sounds like at times, you think Paul's courage may waver occasionally? (laughs) Yeah. Would yours? In that setting? But the people are praying and the Spirit of Jesus is there strengthening him and strengthening him to, 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 face, to face this well. And he says, I'm convinced I'm, I, that, that this is going to be, Christ is going to be honored in my body one way or the other and that I will not be ashamed but with full courage I will face whatever comes my way. Whatever price I have to pay for sharing the gospel. Whether a classmate laughs at me because I believe in creation. Whether a teammate on my hockey team laughs at me and mocks me because I go to church. Whether a coworker ridicules my stand on, on moral issues because this is the way God has declared things to be. I will not be ashamed. I will simply, in full courage, honor Christ, whatever that means for me. Whatever that means, whatever it brings. 1 John 2.28 says we have, to, we have to live our lives before Him in such a way that we will not shrink back and be ashamed at His coming. We'll say, yes, we're here and we're yours. We've been waiting for you. Luke, uh, Luke chapter 9, Jesus said, Whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when He comes in His glory. Hmm. Paul says, I don't want Jesus to have to be ashamed of me. I'll not be ashamed of him before people. I'll honor Christ here, whatever the cost, whatever the price to me. When I entered high school, our youth pastor had challenged us all to be very active in sharing our faith. And he taught us a principle that I believe is still true, and he said, that is this. He said, the first time you're in a new setting... Right off the top, let people know where you stand. It's much harder later to try and backtrack and insert something and you go, well, what? We knew you for three years and you never said anything about this? Just let them know where you stand right up front. I think that's accurate. He, he gave us, a made a bunch of tracks available, little gospel tracks available to us. And I, in my zeal and my excitement to get to this New high school of experience of mine in grade 9. Here I come as this little grade 9 walking in, and I was going to change the world. Every day, I restocked that stack of tracks in my backpack. We walked about a mile and a half to, to school, and if you passed me on the sidewalk, you were getting one. If it was a rainy day and I was taking the city bus, that driver was getting one. And if you were sitting beside me, we were going to talk. If you were in one of my classes and you sat around me, you were going to get a track. I was going to put it right there and say, hey, you got to read this. you got to deal with it, man. There's truth in here. I'll talk to you about it, but I'm praying for you because you need Jesus. That lasted... uh, Excuse me. That lasted maybe close to about four weeks. (laughs) And then you know, it, it started to be made known to me in a variety of ways that not everybody thought this was such a good idea. Not everybody wanted to hear what I was saying. Not everybody wanted to read one of these tracts. And I started to take some pretty good abuse for that. And you so you know what I did? I said, well, nobody warned me about this. This is not the way it's supposed to go. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go home and I'm going to throw out all those tracks and I am going to put my head down and keep my mouth shut and survive high school. And that's what I did. But when you do that and you don't stand out as one of the lords, it it ends up taking you to places you hadn't planned. Steers you in some directions you hadn't thought you'd end up going. Not a good idea. Now, I, I could have learned some ways to communicate the gospel to people a whole lot better, I'm sure. If someone had come alongside to me and just said, Steve, be a good friend of these guys and love them and pray for them. Yeah, talk about Jesus when you get the opportunity. But start connecting with these guys, start feeding into their lives and telling them the truth as you go along. Maybe that would have gone a little differently. But man, that was my experience i got to tell you, every once in a while, a face or a name will run through my head from high school, and I wonder, I wonder where he is. I wonder what he's doing. I wonder if God ever brought somebody else around to share the gospel with him. We need to learn how to live and speak and share the gospel with people around us. But we do need to do it. We do need to do it. And when we don't like the response that comes, oh, as one who ran and hid, I got to tell you, don't do it. Don't do it. Stand up, honor Christ. Paul says, serve the gospel and honor Christ, whatever's going on. Finally, verse 27, he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you, I'm released, or I'm absent. Paul says, in the face of opposition, I appreciate your care and concern and prayer and support. Friends, don't let fear rule the day. Serve the gospel, honor Christ, and stand together. He says, I want to hear whether I come and see it for myself or I'm just here and I'm getting reports from men like Epaphroditus that you've sent to me and he's bringing this letter back. Whatever I hear, I want to hear that you are standing firm together. In one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the gospel. Striving, hard work, sweat, sacrifice in the face of opposition. Not facing each other in opposition, but standing shoulder to shoulder, side by side and facing the opposition together. And continuing forward with the ministry. I want to hear that that's what you're doing, that you're standing firm, striving for the gospel. He talks about standing together and we're going to look more at that next week as that con- theme continues to build then. If we don't stand together in here and we'll see that next week, what are the chances we're going to stand together out there in the face of opposition? Zero. Zero. We stand together in here with one spirit, one mind, and then we go out there and we strive together side by side for the cause of Christ and sharing the gospel, whatever we face, standing together out there. That shows people that we're His, that this isn't about us, that this is about Him. And when we stand together, what did Jesus say in John 13? Love each other the way I've loved you, and that's how people are going to know you're mine, not because you're going to fight all the time about whether somebody agrees on every little thing with you, but because you, you love each other and you stand together with one heart, one mind, one spirit and striving together for the gospel and you're going to see that you're mine. He says, I want to hear that this is the way that you're standing together and working together for the gospel and that you're not frightened by your opponents, but that you'll stand in courage. Just as I am expecting that I will stand in courage and not be ashamed. Whatever happens to me, I'm praying the same thing for you and I'm calling you to that, Paul says. Stand and serve the gospel and honor Christ and stand together. Whatever happens, stand with courage because your faith is in God, not in men. Stand with courage and just let God advance the gospel as he sees fit. You know how Paul had said back in verse 16 that he had been placed there, put there for the defense of the gospel? he then says something that sounds so strange to our Western ears where we're sure that we ought to be protected from you know, even somebody looking at us wrong or somebody sitting across the street with a sandwich board. We're convinced that we need to be sheltered from all of that. Even as followers of Christ, sometimes that creeps in. So this sounds very strange to our ears, but in verse 29, he says, it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. Anybody ever applied for a grant? Anybody ever applied for that grant? It has been granted to you, not just to believe in Jesus, but to have the honor of suffering for Him as well. Suffering for His sake. Suffering for Christ and for the gospel. When we suffer for Christ and for the gospel as God's people, it is not because God is angry with us or has abandoned us or some divine accident has happened and he's lost control and things have spun out of control or the, the, the enemy has mounted an attack and God is just too weak to fend it off. Scripture tells us it is a sign of his favor. Jesus said, if they treat me like this, don't be surprised when they treat you this way. If you stand out as light, the darkness is going to fight back. You have to be ready for that, he says. It's a sign of his favor. In Acts chapter 5, the authorities brought the apostles in and they threatened them and they, they punished them and they threatened them for preaching Christ and they shipped them out. You know what the apostles did? They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. And then they went out and kept preaching the gospel. Wow. Look at what God has done for us in Christ. He allowed us to carry Christ's name and share in His suffering even today. Wow, what a privilege. It's not something you go looking for. It's not something you go trying to provoke because we're being jerks to people. But it's not something we're afraid of either. Should it come? It's something we thank God for. That He'll walk us through it. And that even there, he can advance the gospel. He can advance the gospel. If you're following along in the outline of the bulletin this morning, your reflection and response questions are, what do I need to know and what do I need to do? Those are not meant to be answered right in this moment. By reflection and response, I mean that's something to pray about, think about, ask God about. What is it you're telling me from this passage? What is it I need to know? And what is it I then need to do? And what am I going to do about that? But friends, I think as we read through the rest of this letter and as we read this particular section, I think the theme of the letter of the Philipp- to the Philippians is simply this. No matter what. No matter what. No matter what happens to Paul, no matter what happens to the Christians in Philippi, no, what ha- no matter what happens to you or to me or to us, live so that whatever happens to us really serves to advance the gospel. Live unashamed and courageous because to me to live as Christ and to die is gain and whatever God wants to do with this body is just kind of irrelevant to me. I'm just here to serve him. I don't have to survive the process. This is about him and about the gospel, and I want to serve the gospel and honor Christ. That's okay with me. However he chooses to do that, okay, sign me up. But finally, look at verse 27. Here's a phrase we're going to see a couple times in this letter. Finally, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And there is the theme of the letter that will trickle through the pages to come. No matter what, let your life be worthy of the gospel. Amen? That God may be honored, that the gospel may be advanced as we stand together, living lives worthy of the gospel of Jesus. Father, we love you and we are grateful for your grace your mercy rescuing us, providing us forgiveness and life, providing us with each other that we can stand together and walk together and serve you together. Placing us where you did in this world and at this time, in this generation, in this place, that we might stand together as yours and to walk with you in a way that causes us to stand out as different because we follow Jesus. Help us to serve the gospel and honor you. Help us to stand together to walk forward presenting the gospel in this community, regardless of the response. Help us to live lives worthy of the gospel to your glory. and We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.